This episode of the Stock Market Movers podcast is brought to you by Calamero St. Helliers. Check out calamero.co.nz for more information. A reminder that we're also doing a Stock Market Movers meetup on Sunday the 1st of December at 2pm. Come along and you'll see me multitask. I'll make you some pizza and I'll talk to you about stocks. It is Saturday, the 23rd of November 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to the stock episode 67 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder, nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. We're going to start with Steel & Chew, but they trade on the NZX under the ticker code STU, who provided a trading update. They advised that adverse trading conditions are continuing and its first half results are expected to be lower than the prior year. I guess the thing about Steel & Tube is that it's a reasonably cyclical industry, so you'd expect some ups and downs, but I suppose the concerning thing I see here for the business is that when you read the language of the report, it doesn't appear to be all related to cyclicality. They instead talk about, and I'm quoting here, the competitive intensity and pricing pressures from the second half of of the last financial year have continued. They do mention a bit of cyclicality by saying that the market activity levels have been softer. So I guess the the thing the thing about steel, right? Just and I'm no steel expert, so I don't want to offend anyone. But as long as it's up to grade, you it's a commodity. So your your main I guess driving factor if you're a buyer is, is, is I guess, price and service. So if you if you could get a cheaper price and maybe not even as good a service elsewhere, then you may be considering that, considering that as a buyer. So in, in some ways, it's not, not necessarily a race to the bottom, but it means that if you want to be a new entrant into the market and you can make a splash, you can come and drop your prices and that forces the hand of companies like Steel and Tube. They need to, to, to go out and match it. So it, it, it can these sorts of things do happen in this sort of market. Um, the company also hints at some write-offs. They're saying that an, another update will be provided with the half-year results in, in February 2020, so next year, and accounting carrying values will be reassessed at that time. So I think there's a good chance that they'll be writing off some goodwill in February. That's that's a prediction for you. Um, I think it was a dollar seventy a share that they rejected an 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 offer from Fletcher Building. Um, that that's about one hundred and fifty million in, in market difference from where the stock is trading at now. Um, and that and the management said that it was undervalued. Um, so I think I said at the time that it'd be <laughs> it'd be interesting to see if that if that fob off of Fletcher Building was a good thing. But we'll find out. Um, we had the first ever annual report for Port of Napier released during the week, uh, well at least their first ever annual report in its life as a public company, and they've gone next level on the pictures, it's it's quite impressive. The report is 108 pages long, which is a pretty long annual report for New Zealand. Of that I would say, and especially of a reasonably simple company like Port of Napier, of that I would say around 50% are of executives leaning on fence railings with water behind them. So. Out of the 108 pages, you need to read the letters at the front. I would skip most of the stuff in the middle. You know, there are pages and pages and pages of community care initiatives and everything like that. Great stuff, no doubt, and maybe a bit of late night reading, but your next stop should be the corporate governance statement on page 52 and then the financial statements on page 65, and that's where I'll start talking. 
So revenue came in at 99.6 million, which is an 8.6% increase from the 91.7 million that it delivered in 2018. And that was 2.3% ahead of forecast. Gross profit pretty much kept up and grew at 7.7% to just under 42 million. I find these numbers quite impressive. I mean, you, you, you did not IPO in what you expect to be a bad year, but I think 9% growth for the company, like this is a pretty good thing. Um, I think it would be hard for the company to deliver that over the long, long term. But, you know, at, at the moment it's great. There are some one-time expenses related to the IPO, but basically the company was around or slightly ahead of where they were at last year. So I think normalised profit before tax of around $28.5 million. I think you, you do have to count depreciation in a company like this. Looking at the balance sheet, they have a really clean looking balance sheet. As you would expect, it is a company heavy on the tangible assets with over $317 million in property plant of equipment. They've got equity of $335 million, um, profits of around $28.5 million, so a return of equity around 8.5%, which isn't fantastic, but the company doesn't have any debt. So it's a decent return on assets for a company that doesn't have any debt, or any material debt. It'll be interesting to see if the company decides to take on more debt to return the to juice the return on equity. Um, I guess that would that would depend on management's view of it. Um, market cap now of of six hundred seventy million. I think it would be difficult to achieve a fantastic return in the long term by buying at these prices. I think you'd be wanting to be buying a lot closer to the equity value to achieve a satisfactory return. But I think over a long period of time, it is very unlikely that you will lose money on the stock. Short period of time, yes, of course. Um, maybe with the valuations the way they are now as well. Uh, but over the long period of time, I, I think it's you know, 10, 20, 30 years, I think you'll be hard, hard pressed to lose money unless the stock drops and it gets taken over a lower price or something like that. I don't think you'll it'll shoot the lights out. But I don't think you'd be embarrassed about owning it either. Um, so yeah, good, good, great to see Port of Napier in the public markets, and, and great to see a, for once an IPO. Now, let's talk about something that is a bit more of a history of shooting the lights out. That is A2 Milk. They released an announcement during the week that was classified as a price sensitive announcement. They extended a supply agreement from Sinley. I'm not, I'm not sure if that can be considered surprising for lots of reasons, but. They also came out with notes to the 2019 annual meeting and the company really wanted you to look at one thing from the update, that's the outlook. They wrote, including outlook in brackets in the headline of the announcement. Then in the body of the announcement, they wrote three bullet points. Chair's opening address, that's the first one. Second one was managing directors and CEO's address. The third point was 2019 annual meeting presentation. And in brackets, they wrote, including outlook on slide six. I think in a situation like this, when a company is really wanting you to read something, it will be important to look at all the other details in the update, I guess with the more critical eye. Quite often companies will try and focus your intention on one thing while slipping through other detail in another way. I'm not saying this is the instance with A2, I think that they're just trying to make it easier for shareholders who actually just want to see what the outlook is. But if I were going through and reading the other stuff, I'd, I'd be probably looking at extra hard just to make sure. So let's humour them and, and go pay, straight to the outlook on page six. They're expecting continued strong revenue growth driven by brand and marketing development. Margins are also set to improve. For the half year 2020, they are expecting 
revenue in the range of 780 to 800 million. This is going to be driven by 135 million from China label infant nutrition sales. That's a staggering growth of 84%. Cross border e-commerce infant nutrition sales to be 155 million, a 54% growth rate. They really do break this down in granular detail, which is great. Australia and New Zealand English label sales to be 350 million, a growth rate of 9%. So you'd have to expect in this market that they're getting closer to capacity than what they are in China with a 9% growth rate. Although 9% growth is nothing to be sniffed at. I mean, I'd snap your arm off for 9% annualized growth in my pizza shop over the long term, just as an aside. US sales forecast to be 27 million, a growth of 110%. So obviously a, a much smaller market for them at the moment. We'll be interested to see how big it can get because as you may have heard, the United States is a pretty big country. Australia, fresh milk sales is 75 million, a growth of around 12%. So read the other materials with a critical eye, but AT, A2 is a business that just continues to get it done really. Um, ignoring the stock for a minute, the business just continues to get it done. And and they are really producing free cash flow. I think, as I've said before, what they start doing with it now will be the real question. Um, if you are looking for share price appreciation, I think one of the best things the company could do would be to buy back and cancel its stock. I think if they start doing that while they're continuing to grow, then the share price would really get exciting. Um, but that's just my opinion. Although they, they do need to continue to grow if they are to justify the valuation. That's just my opinion. But certainly you, you're reading some of those. When, you, when you're growing at 85% a year in, 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 in big markets and stuff like that, it does suggest that there's still more in rate for growth. I, I think they do deserve a higher multiple than, say, Sinlay, just because it's more capital-like business. It's sort of like how Coca-Cola would deserve a, a higher multiple than, say, the bottling companies because they're, they're selling the easy stuff and they've got the brands and everything like that. So the real interesting thing for me in this space will be competition, how much of an impact, if any, they will have, and then durability. For example, Coke, while maybe not what it was in the past, is is certainly proven to be dur- durable over you know 100-year period, whatever it is. Does infant formula have the same characteristics? In many ways, it, it probably does. Um, you know, It might not always be the hot market, but you'd imagine there would always be some sort of demand for infant formula out there. You know, there's always going to be someone that needs infant formula. So whether it will be the same growing industry in the future or not is a different question, but I do expect there will be a need for it in the future. So I think A2 is, is right to sp- spend on the brand. Um, if you continue the comparison with Coca-Cola and think of how important brand is to them, and I think anything A2 does to continue to develop the brand that brand awareness in people's mind, it should be applauded by shareholder shareholders because at the end of the day, a strong brand increases durability. Um, and especially if maybe one day it's not a growing industry anymore, then that market share and brand power becomes even more important. Okay, moving on. The next headline was for MetLife Care, which during the week, the, the headline read, buyback suspended, dash, non-binding indicative offer received. That's all you need to know in the title because there was no real news in the update, but a hell of an announcement. The stock was up 12% in the news in a day, which is logical. I'll reread the headline translated in plain English. We have stopped buying back shares because someone has offered to buy us out, but we cannot say for how much and we cannot say who. You wonder what at this stage. Obviously, it's early enough not to give too much detail, but serious enough to talk to the market about it. So my suggestion is that it's probably a foreign buyer maybe, I'm guessing, or maybe a, a private equity firm from New Zealand and Australia. But obviously, 
have to watch this space like everyone else. There will be more updates either way. Be ashamed to see MetLife Care go. They're a pretty significant NZX company for investors. Um, soon we're going to have to shut down the podcast because we're going to be bloody running out of stocks to talk about. It seems like that way at the moment. We've had Port of Napier, we've had Canisouth, and then a whole lot of takeovers. Anyway, moving on. E-Road. I don't think I've ever spoken about them on the podcast. I'm not sure why. They're a reasonably well-known Kiwi company. The ticker code is ERD. They have a market cap of around $215 million. So the headline for E-Road reads, E-Road delivers another period of strong profit growth. In, strong growth, sorry. I inserted the word profit there when it wasn't. In half-year financial year 2020. So there's a company that I'm familiar with, but I don't know that well. So you might hear me making some assumptions here. Revenue increased 35% to $38.5 million, driven by the New Zealand and US markets. They achieved annualised 27% growth in contracted units. So the first assumption I'm making here is that the company is able to grow its revenue faster than unit growth. Um, now, that might not be significant, but I always like to see that sort of thing. I always note it down. Well, I don't, not necessarily like to see it, but I always note, note it down and keep it away, as it might mean that the company is able to grow its per-customer spend or per-customer revenue faster than its overall revenue, which is nice, which means that they're getting basically more out of the company. Oh, actually, I've read on. They've confirmed it. Average revenue per unit increased from 56 to $57.6 dollars. So basically, the company has strong cash flows from its New Zealand business, and it's funneling that into growth in the United States, which is obviously, as you know, and I've already alluded to in the podcast, a much larger market, with much probably being an understatement. Um, so I guess the investment case here is that growth in the US is one day very profitable, and then the, the, the North America is an established market for them, and that, that's the... I guess the the bull case, and you can go and extract. Well, if you go and extrapolate their success in New Zealand into the United States and do it like for like, then you've got a ginormous company on your hands. But even if they just achieve, I guess, a small percentage of market share in the United States, then you've probably got a business that's going to do very well and produce good returns. Okay, moving on. Gentrack. They're a company like Erode that I don't know if I've really talked about too much on the podcast, which is surprising when you think about it because for a while there they were a real market darling on the NZX and the stock has taken an absolute beating in 2019 and it's an example of what can happen to share prices of growth companies when the market starts to price in a tremendous well when the valuation starts to tell you that there's no other way it can be justified without tremendous growth over a long period of time. And when that growth dries up or doesn't materialise, then the stock will be revalued. So the company provided a short trading update. I'll read the whole update as it was that short. So full year 19, sorry, full year, I always do that. Financial year 2019 result and financial year 2020 outlook. Genchat Group, Gentrack Gen Group expects to announce its Year-end, 30 September 2019, result next week of revenue of $112 million and EBITDA marginally below the previously advised guidance range of between $25 million and $26 million. In light of continuing uncertainty in the UK market, the company expects that its outlook for financial year 2020 is broadly flat. So... My first comment there is, why even bother with this update? Why would you not just relate, wait to next week? I mean, you can only think they're just trying to get the bad news out of the way now and then 
produce the good news next week. It just seems it just seems silly to me to to waste everyone's time with an announcement like that. But that's just my view. We'll move on to the update itself. So first part is it's not really an update. Instead of twenty six million, they're going to report twenty five million of EBITDA. I mean, EBITDA isn't even an an accounting metric, so it's sort of like well, okay. Uh, the real substance of the update is the last sentence that outlook for next year is flat. And you know you, you go flat, flat. You know you, you don't like to see outlooks for companies that were of flat that were trading on sixty times earnings or whatever it was a couple of years ago. I mean. The expectations for this company were unrealistic in my view. They provide software services for big infrastructure companies such as airports. So the the business model is is big, hard to get but sticky clients. And big, hard to get but sticky clients are hard to sign up. So growth therefore is going to be lumpy. And it's, it's clear no one priced it into the to the business. I know what they were thinking. It was when all this in 2017 when all those New Zealand software companies were just really hot. And they just went gen track software company software as a service crazy market valuation that's what happened um they didn't no one actually took a look at the business um and and that that's just that's just my opinion so growth growth is going to be lumpy um and it's not always going to be quick growth, but when it is it's probably going to be profitable growth so that's the way you've got to think about it um EBITDA as we know is not profit, so let's move that away as a multiple we'll calculate free cash flow based off the last annual report so last year 22 million in cash from operating activities 2.2 million spent on capex so around 20 million in this calculation i'm ignoring some of the acquisitions they made i always consider free cash flow as cash from operating expenditures after capex but before acquisitions dividends investments debt repayments and share buybacks Sometimes you consider debt repayments if there's an awful lot of debt and it's going to take, like say with Metro Performance Glass where there's a crap load of debt and it's going to take a long time to pay that off. You, you need to calculate it in. Um, but often I just exclude it. I also note that further down the page they, they put interest paid. I'll take that off as well. So you're looking at $19 million in free in free cash for the last year. Um, it seems like it's going to be maybe less this year um, and around the same next year. So... I'm not going to an- analyse this and, and decide if it's high or low, but looking at today's market cap, you're looking at a multiple of around 19 times. So the company really has come back to earth. And looking at the free cash flow statement, the company shouldn't really be paying a dividend, at least based off the last couple of years. Um, basically, they've had to issue shares to cover the acquisitions, and they would have had to issue a lot less if they didn't pay the dividend. So that's just my 10,000 foot view. So Gentrack, 19 times free cash flow or, or whatever it is now. I wouldn't say it's fascinating at that price, but it's starting to get, you know, certainly a lot more interesting than, than what it was. So it'll be interesting to see if the results come out next week, um, how how they look, how the market reacts to them, and if it keeps on falling, then eventually it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Um, but it, it certainly was overvalued before, um, and I think you know if you say the company's performed badly. Not sure that's necessarily the case. I think it's the market just attributed far too much that way more than what was realistic for the company anyway that's all we've got time for remember the the meetup first of december uh, next sunday it'd be great to see you along 2 p.m um, you don't have to buy a pizza 
but you can sit there and listen to me talk about stocks and it would be great of course if you did buy a pizza many thanks again for listening to the podcast as a reminder that nothing that i said today should be considered financial advice if you're looking to find out more about the podcast you should go to www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find it and give us a like on facebook and twitter and everything else share it with your friends that's how the podcast grows never ask for it but also leave us a rating and review would be great if you'd like to email me, it is jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name has been Jeremy. My name has been my name is Jeremy Medlin, and this has been episode sixty-seven of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Saturday, the twenty-third of November, two thousand nineteen. We'll see you all again next week.